have a serve day yesterday. Serve day yesterday, we did a food distribution down at the um, Milton Frank. I wanted to say Joe Davis. It was not Joe Davis Stadium. It was Milton Frank. We went down to Milton Frank. That was our first time down there. We served, um, we gave away 40, just 40,000 pounds of food. That's all. 40,000 pounds of food. Served hundreds and hundreds of families. Actually, over 1,100 people uh, received groceries from you guys yesterday. What a huge blessing it is to our community. Um, and every single time we go out there, uh, it is, uh, you know, Scripture says it's, it's better, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And those of you that are givers and that have made it a practice of your life, realize that you are more blessed. You, are, you, you, you're, you're the, you turn inwardly more grateful. You, you recognize God's goodness more. You're more blessed in those moments that you're giving. How many of you guys who went out there yesterday, you could agree or that you've been out there with us before, it really is better to give than it is to receive? Yes, every single time it is. And so yesterday, I want to thank you guys that were able to come out. I know I talked to several who weren't able to. You guys have been before. Uh, some of you are planning to. And so grateful for those of you that came out. It was a, uh, it was a really good day. And uh, we have a, I think we got a few pictures up there. Look at, look at that. Who's that pretty lady behind that, behind that guy, that stranger man? Sorry, pops. Also, um, today is week two of our next steps. So next steps is our on-ramp to all things Four Corners Church. So some of you guys have been through next steps. Some of y'all have been through one step of the next steps. There's two steps. You've taken one and you've missed the second one. Today is your day. All right, and then we've had a few that uh, started uh, last week. So that's right after service, 45 minutes long, includes lunch, uh, child care if you need it, um, uh, which is immediately following. So we are in week two of a three-week series. Now, that, that may sound shocking to you because we just came out of a 12-week series. It was three months, not three weeks. And so this one's three weeks, so we're halfway, we're right, at, we're right in the middle, uh, week two, and uh, called in... Every season. Everybody say, in every season. Good, y'all are with me this morning. So we're going into the holiday season, and contrary to what all holiday marketing would want us to think or what they're trying to communicate, we all do experience those seasons differently. Sometimes differently just because we're different. Sometimes from one season to the next. Based on our circumstances, we, we just experience it differently. So we're asking the question, is there something true about God that we can know in every season? Something true about him in every season that we can trust. And then from that, create an opportunity for gratitude to grow. Because there's in, in somebody that, that lives from a place of gratitude has an entirely different perspective on life. They just interpret life differently, and the truth is, is life's just better for them. Their circumstances may not be any better, but their experience, their perspective, their understanding is just better. Gratitude changes everything. So last week, we realized we're working through Psalm 23, the most, probably the most famous chapter in the Bible, Psalm 23. 
And I learned a couple things. God calls us sheep over 200 times in Scripture. It's a lot of times. It's not a compliment. I don't know if you guys recognize that last week. It's not. It's, it's, it's actually not. Um, but we're learning the Lord is our shepherd. And so he makes us lie down and he gives us rest and he gives us peace. He gives us restoration. All those are good things, but sometimes they require us to lie down and we don't want to lie down. Sometimes we want to run away because we aren't the smartest. Sheep are not the smartest. I'm not going to re-preach my favorite point of last week, but they're not. They're dumb. All right, here we go. Psalm 23. This is uh, six verses long. It's a good passage for us to know, even to memorize. And so I want us all to read it together. Usually we read, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read the scripture and you guys read with your eyes. This time we're going to read out loud and say it. All right, so all of us, let's say this together. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anybody, uh, anybody have to memorize that when you were younger, when you were little? Anybody memorize that recently? You're like, that's a good one. I need to memorize that. Anybody memorize it in, in like old school King James with thy, thys and thous and thous and theys? And I don't even know if those are words, but I think they're in there. Yeah. Whatever translation you, you've learned it in or you've heard it in or that clicks in your head, stick with that one. So I heard, heard a couple different words out there. Stick with that. Go with it. Verse 4 we work through verses 1, 2, and 3. Verse 4 may be the most famous verse in the Bible. I, it, 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 it might be one of the most famous. It, it is one of it. It may be the most famous verse in the Bible. Why is it the most famous verse? I think it's because it speaks to a universal, timeless enemy. A universal, timeless enemy. Anybody you enjoy, maybe this is when you were younger, but you enjoy... Like, it's funny to you to jump out and scare people. You just like, you're like, I look, sometimes, and still, like, to this day, you know, anybody, you, just, you like scaring uh, your, your roommate or your spouse. You just, that's a, that's a thing at your house. That's a thing in our house. That is. I love it. I, I love it. I've always loved it. My favorite scare moment of my entire life. I was in college. I'll never forget it. It was glorious. I had seven other roommates. There were eight of us. I had a friend who was always uh, he would always come in late, and uh, the school that I went to, the university I went to, um, we had curfew. It was a, pr it was a little small private university. Uh, I was going to school for uh, uh, to go into the ministry, and so he and we knew he was going to come in late. His name was Jason. Hope he's watching. And he would, and so I was talking to uh, one of our other roommates, and I said, "Hey, man, let's let's scare Jason tonight." And he was like, "Great, let's do that. We're twenty. Like, that's why wouldn't you?" So I said, "I'm going to hide underneath the bed." And, and we'll jump out and scare him. And I said, but first, I need you to kind of set the, 
just set the scary mood of the room. I said, tell really scary stories. Like, not like ghost stories, like, do you believe in ghosts? I mean, no, no, no. Like, bring up, like, the Bible and start talking about, like, like demons and stuff. I mean, really, let's get this thing going, all right? We were in, uh, we were in ministry, sc- ministry school, and let me just tell you something. We, once we got going, I'm, I'm underneath the bed. Jason comes in. He's like, oh, let's go to bed, whatever. So, lays down. I'm underneath. He doesn't know. And let me just tell you something. My friend John, who's his roommate in that room, he starts telling stories, scary stories. Like, are they true? Yeah, I think so. Like, like that on that level, like, oh. And so it's so scary in the room, I'm terrified. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was the one that was going to jump out and scare. I'm so scared underneath the bed, I think, I can't. I'm just going to, guys, y'all, can I get out? And, um, but I stand firm. And, I, and, and so they're, they're, they're telling these stories. And it, the room is thick with fear, my fear. And... And so finally it gets to this point, and, and um, Jason goes, yeah, you know, he said, I think, man, all this stuff is true. He said, I think, you know, I think we're going to start seeing more, more manifestations of angels and demons now. That we're getting into the last days. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> and he says, but I think God knows I'm not ready to experience that in my life right now. And I thought, oh, you're about to. At that moment, I put my legs on the bottom of this bed, and I lift the bed and go. (laughs) He jumps up and screams, Jesus! (laughs) Now, look, I don't know what you would have jumped up and screamed, but he screamed the name of Jesus, which is pretty good. That's a good go-to. And he starts rebuking me. He doesn't know it's me. He's going ballistic. If If you ever... Have you ever laughed so hard that you, that you couldn't breathe and there was no sound? It's just silent. The room was silent. There was no sound. He stopped screaming. He, 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 had been, he was hitting the pillow. He, was, he had turned around and started hitting the bed. And I was like, he's going to. He had one of those little, um, one of those, anybody ever collect swords? He had one of those little swords that was like hanging up. And I thought, in my head, I thought, oh, no. He's going to grab the sword, and I'm, I'm done for. He's going to kill the demon. And so it's silent. I can't breathe. John can't breathe. Nobody can breathe. Me and John. And so finally I go, and I take this huge breath, and I go, Jason, it's me. And we just start laughing, and we laugh so hard. We can't move. I, I'm stuck underneath this dumb bed for about 20 minutes because nobody can move because we're laughing so hard. It's so ridiculous. He gets so angry, but he can't get too angry because it's the funniest thing that's ever happened. It's my favorite scare story of all time. I took years of his life off. But the reason that I laughed so hard that I almost lost my dinner because it was that hard, the reason was because we knew there was nothing to be afraid of. It was me. It was just me. And there was nothing to be afraid of. I wish I could say that is my response to all fear. I wish I could be like, anytime I come across some kind of fear that I'm just like, ha, 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 that'd be kind of weird. But still, I wish I could just laugh off the fear. I wish I could say that. 
But it's not. Because real life isn't a, uh, a scary movie parody. It's, it's real life. And so fear is a universal experience. Every one of us, all of us, have, have, uh, we've all experienced it. We've lived, it, lived with it, coped with it, no matter how old you are, how young you are. It's been with us since the beginning, no matter the season, fall, winter, spring, summer, and every season, you and I experience the oldest enemy of existence, fear. I have a graphic, 2021, top fears list, all right? This is top 10 overall fears of 2021, all right? This isn't from the Bible, all right? Somebody, some, some, some poll put this together. And so uh, we got, number one is, of course, loved ones dying. It's, it's um, uh, death. And that kind of stays the same no matter what year you're looking at. Um, you guys can look at that list. You can probably find stuff on there that is familiar. Do you see your top fear up there? Anybody see your top fear up there? Maybe you don't, but it's, it's still there. Maybe your top fear isn't, isn't up there. Because the truth is, is that no one is exempt from fear. Whether you see it up there or not, it's a universal experience. Maybe your fear is more connected to your, to your, uh, to your purpose. Maybe it's, you know, fear of dying early or fear of insignificance or just monotony in life, fear of responsibility, fear of uh, disease, fear of abandonment. Maybe it's, a, it's an existential fear that has made its way into the flesh and bone of your life expressing itself as stress or anxiety or maybe even the, the king of them all, depression. All varying forms and expressions of fear. Because no one is exempt from fear. You, you, you might still be listening. You might still be thinking, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't deal with fear like that, though. And uh, he's talking to everybody else in the room. He's talking to everybody else. I don't deal with it. And that is until I mention that thing or that person or that, or that breakup or that experience. And all of a sudden, your hands begin to sweat and there's a, maybe a knot in your throat and your chest gets tight. And, 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 and the truth is it's because there's no one that is exempt from fear. That's why the Bible says over 365 times all throughout Scripture, don't be afraid because there's so many opportunities for you and me to be afraid. There are plenty of opportunities for us to be afraid. It's one thing for us to say, don't be afraid. Anybody ever told you, don't be afraid while you're afraid? Anybody ever told you, don't be stressed while you're stressed? And you're like, oh, well, in that case, I won't be stressed. You said, don't be stressed, so I won't be stressed anymore. I won't be afraid anymore. No, it's one thing to say it. It's another for someone to give you a reason as to why you actually don't have to live in fear. There's a million different categories of fear, and I want to address two today that I think are the most debilitating, the most offensive, the most damaging fears, the most damaging ones to our journey in Christ. Uh, I got a passage of scripture this morning, 1 Kings chapter 20. This is uh, eight, about 800 years before Jesus, so Old Testament times. Times of the kings, so King David had died and 
uh, Solomon had become king, and then Solomon died, and they split the kingdom, and some more kings became kings, and then there was more kings after that, and so we're, um, we're still about 800 years before Jesus, and Israel is being attacked by 33 countries, all right? So it's 33 on one, all right? We tracking? And so Israel won the first time against all 33 of them, but the nations decide to gather together, and they're going to attack Israel again. So here it is. Uh, chapter 20, begin, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to skip. Now, Benadad, everybody say Benadad. Good, y'all are with me. I love you. Thank you. King of Aram mustered his entire army. He mustered them up. Sorry, that every time I've read this, it makes me laugh. Mustered his army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. It's important. Israel didn't have a lot of horses and chariots. It's important to note. And he went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. All right, skip down. Verse 23, meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised them, advised him, the king, and said this. Listen, their gods, talking about Israel's gods, talking about Israel's God, goes up and says their gods are gods of the hills. That's why they're too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we're going to be stronger than them. Verse 26, the next spring, Benadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And so when the Israelites were mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats or sheep. There we are again. While the Arameans covered the countryside. The man of God, so there's a prophet that came, and he's, he's about to talk to the, uh, the king of Israel. So the prophet comes up, and he tells the king of Israel this. This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I'm going to deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. Two fears that I think can be the most destructive most harmful, most offensive to our walk with Christ. The first one is this, is the fear of the valley. Fear of the valley. What's so fascinating to me here is in the stories that nobody actually knew that God was not limited by valleys. So you got 33 kings, you got this one king, and then you got 32 that are going to come together, and they're all about, about to attack Israel. By the way, this is Israel's story all through the Old Testament. Israel is not the, 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 the scriptures give a, uh, a minority report of Israel. What we see in Israel's story are these brief glimpses, but it's always the same. They're always about to just get taken out. And so here's another story, and even the Israelites, many of them, assume that since they're not in the hills anymore and now they're down in the valley, that God may or may not be with them. Gods were uh, limited by geography. And so, in fact, all the kings gather together, and they don't know. And so they say they've already lost once, but they're so convinced that God is limited by, where this, uh, uh, by the circumstances, they're so convinced they decide to come back and give it another try surely it's just because they're really good, they're just a really good shot in the hills. And so they try again in the valley. 
The Israelites didn't know, and so verse 28, God sends a prophet to tell them that God is a God, not just of the hills, but of the valley. And so Old Testament uh, uh, people assume that God was limited by the circumstances, and 3,000 years later, which is us today, we're still dealing with the same view of God, that God is limited by our circumstances. He doesn't know me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't know because how would he ever know really where I'm at? How could he see through all of this stuff? Line it up. Line up the circumstances. And we're still dealing with the same thing. Fear of the valley is this. It originates from the idea that God's limited whether by choice or by nature, especially so in our circumstances. That's the fear of the valley. And it's not new. God is a God of the valleys. There are valleys all throughout the Old Testament. We could do a series. We may do a series one day. We could do a series on God of the valleys. There are valleys that are named uh, over different things. There's a valley of sorrows, and there's a valley of worry. There's a valley of sickness. There's a valley of anxiety. There's a God is a God of valleys, no matter where you are in the valley. So maybe it's your fault you're in the valley. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe it's nobody's fault. The truth is that in life, there are valleys, and yet in none of them do you have to walk alone. Not one. I remember a couple weeks ago I was gone, and um, I went back and listened to Lindsay's message. Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay preached, and um, she told a story about when my daughter Sophia was two years old. She was our only, only little baby, and um, she got sick, and uh, it was a, it was a two-year birthday, and some of y'all were here, and y'all, y'all, y'all heard the story. Essentially, um, she wasn't walking, and she was two years old, and our only baby, and we didn't know what was wrong. We tried to figure it out. It took a long, long time for us to finally, uh, for the doctors to finally understand what was going on. It's, it's, it's challenging, and it's scary, and it's fearful when you go to the doctor and doctors don't have answers. Because you think, well, you're a doctor. You went to school for like 120 years. You ought to know what's happening. And no doctor could tell us until finally we, we, we found out what it was. And even then, you ever talk to a doctor, and um, they're pretty good, but sometimes you can read their face. You ever talk to a doctor when you're like, they are telling me this, but they don't look confident. You ever talk to a doctor, what do we do? We look for confidence in, in their facial expression. And I'm just telling you, we had enough conversations for us to look and go, I've not talked to a single specialist yet that sounded confident. They, they, they tried to put on, and I could just tell. And so thousand things happened. I won't walk you through all of it. I can just tell you this, that it was one of, if not the most, challenge, it was the most challenging spiritual moment of my entire life up until that point. I had, we were in and out of the hospital. It had been two months long, in and out of the hospital, trying to, trying to help out my, um, my daughter. And um, she had been diagnosed, and it was basically a, a, a bone infection in her spine, and they gave us all this crazy plan. None of it was working. It was sort of working, and then it wasn't working, and then we were back and forth, and it was so, it was so challenging. And I remember I was so exhausted, we were so tired, and somehow God decided to show up for both me and my wife on our own separately 
just to, just to let us know that we weren't there by ourselves. And so I remember I'd, I'd left the hospital. We traded spots. Lindsay was, in the, was um, uh, hanging out with Soph in, um, uh, at Children's Hospital. And uh, she was getting antibiotic treatment for her infection. And, um, and I remember I was driving down the road, and I went home to go take a shower. And I'm on the way back. And I remember thinking, I can't, I, I don't know that I can do this anymore. Like, I've, I've, I've mustered up all my faith. All the, all the faith that I have, I've, I've, I've pulled it all together. I've harnessed it, and I've got every bit of it, but I think I've spent every bit that I have. I don't have any left. I'm completely spent. And I remember I was driving on the road, and I felt so bad because I was a pastor at a church. And I thought, I don't have any more faith for this. I should be a lot stronger than I am. You ever felt guilty for faithlessness? You ever, you ever go, man, I just don't even, I just remember I, I said I had one prayer. I'm driving down the road, and this was my prayer. I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't have enough faith for this. I think I have it maybe for today, but I can't make any promises for tomorrow. That was all I had. And then I had this thought. You ever, you ever wake up in the morning and there's a song in your head that you haven't sung in years and years? You have no idea why it's there? Sometimes you're like, where did that song come from? That is, that is insane. And you go around the house and you're singing it and somebody else is in the house and you're like, what, where did that come from? I'm sitting there and I pray this prayer and I'm driving down the road and I don't even say amen because I don't have enough strength to say amen. That's all I got. said everything that I, that I could say. And instantly I said, God, I'm sorry. And I had this song come in my brain. Now, it was a song that I learned when I was a little bitty kid at school, uh, at, um, in um, Sunday school at church. And it was a Bible song. Now, some of you, a lot of you guys didn't grow up in church. I know your story. Just so you know, used to, you learned Bible songs in Sunday school, but they were all in King James. And they sounded weird. And so I didn't know what it meant. I've never known what it was meant. I never knew what it meant until this moment. And I was, what, 28 years old. I don't know how old I was. And I'm sitting here. And, I'm, and I, this song enters my brain, and it is a Bible verse in King James, and I'm not going to sing it. It basically was this. The song was, <laughs> I'm not singing it. So the song was this, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. All right, it's, it's uh, the, the, the passage of scripture is a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and um, basically it says this. Paul's talking, he says, that's why I'm suffering as I am. So Paul's suffering. He says, yet this is no cause for shame because I know in whom I have believed. So I don't need to be ashamed because I'm suffering. I know, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. And in that moment, I'm at my absolute worst. All I have is one final prayer. Like one final prayer, that's all I got. God, I'm sorry, I'm not the son you thought I was. That was what I said. And then I have this old school King James song come into my brain. And, and as I'm driving, I'm just telling you it was a God moment. I don't know how God it gives you impressions or communicates with you. God does it a lot of different ways. For a lot of us, God does speak. If there's anything that has not stopped since the beginning, it's God's voice. God started everything with his voice in creation, and he still does the same. And he will create faith in you by his voice. And in that moment... 
I felt God say through that verse, it's not your faith, it's my faith, and you can entrust me with it. I will keep you. And so in my valley, in that moment, I realized it didn't matter what the circumstances were around, whether they were fixed immediately or where, or, or, or where they were fixed later on. I had confidence. Be, I began to have confidence that God was going to keep me in the valley. The fear of the valley is debilitating, and we will lose our faith because oftentimes in the valley our faith is in ourselves. But God is big enough for your circumstances, your tests, your trials, and even the end of the end of you. And in fact, oftentimes it's in that moment where our where where our best mustered up faith ends that his begins where he keeps us. There's no reason to have fear in the valley. There's nothing that separates you and I from from the love of God. Because God is a God of the valleys. God gives us promise. The, the fear is the fear of the valley, but the promise is this. Psalm 23 says this, is that in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear. Why? Because you're with me. The fear is be afraid something bad's going to happen. The promise is this, that no matter what happens or where it is or how it happens, God is with us. If you and I can understand this truth that God's with us, there, there, is a, there actually is another fear that follows up right behind it. And so God's with us, and so we got it, and we've grasped it, and we're like, okay, God's always with me, he's always with me. But then there's this other one that follows it right behind it, and David actually put it in the psalm here. And he says this, Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, see if you can see, if you can see it. I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Check this out. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you catch it? What's the other fear? Your rod and your staff. So if, if the enemy can't make us fear that God has left us while we're in the valley, then he'll make us fear that God will punish us while we're there. And the fear is that God's left us. But if we, can, if we can have the faith that God's with us, then if we know God's with us, then the next fear is this. Well, then while I'm here, God must be punishing me. He must really have it out for me. The, the, the thing that I'm going through right now, yeah, God's here because he's everywhere. And now you know how I know he's here? Because he's, he's punishing me. He must be, he, he, must be, he must be punishing me. He must be giving me what I deserve. The second fear is this, the fear of punishment. Not just fear of the valley, but fear of punishment. David uses the, that, that verse about the shepherd having a rod and a staff. One was, there's a couple different thoughts on the, shepherd, uh, on the shepherd's rod and staff. Some people say that it was, it was two different things. One was, a, one was a staff, long staff, and another one was like a club, like a short stick. And um, the other thought is that it's just one shepherd's staff, and on one end is the, the shepherd's crook. You ever seen the, the picture of that? And the other end, so the other end you use for hitting. This is what, so that's what um, David talks about when he says, I, I, uh, I, 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 God was with me. I knew he was with me because that's when I killed the bear, and that's when I killed the lion. And he's talking to Goliath because he had a staff. He, he knows how to use the staff. 
the rod and the staff. And so David, David talks about that when he, um, when he mentions it there. And so one of the most effective tools the enemy uses to keep you and I from our purpose in Christ is the lie that says, don't come near to God or he'll punish you. The lie that says, he's going to hit you with his rod and his staff. You've been a bad sheep. You've done the wrong thing. Now go pick out your switch. That's the fear. That's it. Anybody ever have to pick out your own switch? <laughs> that's, that's our fear. Yeah, if God's with us, if we can get past that when God's with us, well, then he must be punishing me. But if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. God doesn't punish his children. God doesn't punish his children. You're not being punished by God. Your circumstances aren't a punishment from God. And if you're away from God today and you're considering coming back to God today, but you're afraid, let me tell you this, he isn't going to punish you. He won't. Scripture says that Jesus actually already took our punishment. It says that he took our punishment on the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out on him for you and me. God doesn't punish his kids. First John chapter 4 says this. That there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has to do with what? Punishment. So God doesn't... God doesn't want you afraid of him that he's going to hurt you or wound you. How can we come close to God if we think he's going to hit us? However, God is a good father. And because he's a good father, he does discipline his children. Those are two very different things. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces, what comes from it? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So we're afraid of the valley, whatever that is, whether it's death or insignificance or monotony or responsibility or disease or abandonment or whatever. We're afraid and there's this promise that Jesus says, that I'm with you always. And then we are afraid of this punishment, whatever it is. We know we aren't perfect. So God must be punishing me, or, or it's karma, or it's, it's maybe it's the gods, or maybe I'm getting my just desserts, or, or whatever it is. The truth is, is that when I'm in the valley, God is with me, and God is for me, and he's working out all things for my good. So when David says, your rod and your staff, it's not to say that it's, it's, it's a woundedness of punishment because look what you did. It's only in a relationship with God that we can realize that it's through the rod and staff that are actually comfort. I'm comforted. I'm comforted by God. And so what do we expect from our valley? In other words, what kind of, what kind of purpose can this valley ever have for me. What's the purpose of the valley? I want you to think about the, 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 the circumstance, the moment. Maybe it's in your past. Maybe it's something that you're walking through right now. Or maybe it's a valley that you are expecting that you can see on the, on the horizon. What is the, 
What good can come from that? What is the purpose of that? So I want you to look at the transition from verse, uh, the first three verses in Psalm 23 to verse 4. First three verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Watch this transition. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. All of those move from God is to you are. It goes from out there to, to in here. And so whether you're in the valley because of your own decisions or somebody else's decisions or somebody else's bad moves or just a season of life, you can know this. It's actually only in the valley that God is able to turn our religion about God into a relationship with God. It's in the valley that we learn intimacy with God. And the purpose, the redeeming, the redemption, the redeeming value of whatever it is that you're walking into is an invitation by God to know Him through every season. And so we're going in the winter. All the leaves are falling off. We're about to get, in a few weeks, we're going to look out and everything's going to seem barren. It's going to seem empty and it's going to seem dead. It's going to seem like a valley of seasons that nothing is left, that there's nothing there. And yet, there's something that's still going on. Underneath the ground, down there in the roots, there's something that's happening. And in your life, God's doing the same. Whatever valley that is, whatever, whatever moment that is, whatever experience that is, whatever that is, your response and my response is to surrender to a good father who loves and takes care of his children. And it is an invitation into intimacy with God. From, from a religion of things that we've learned about God, God is a shepherd and he does these things into this. You are with me in the valley. Your rod and your staff, I find comfort, God, in your discipline. I find comfort in knowing that you take care of me and no matter what I'm going through, even if it's my own decisions, as you bring about the right thing in my life for me to come back to you, as you bring that about, whatever consequences those are, I know it's for what? My good. It's my good. Not to punish, but to bring. Why? There's, 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 there's no fear in love. How can we love a creator God who we're always afraid of like this? Oh no, God, he's about to hit us. It's not God, it's not how it works. It's an invitation, no matter the circumstance. So this morning, if you would, if you close your eyes, I want to pray for, I want to pray for you. At what point does my religion turn into a relationship? The opportunity is when we meet God in the valley. When we meet him in the valley. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, I, I don't, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the valley. I just feel alone. I feel alone. And you said one of the lies was uh, that, that I would hear in my head was that I need to be afraid of this valley because in that valley I'm alone. And um, 
you're in here and, and, and if you're honest, you would just say, Joel, I'm, I'm in a valley and I feel alone and I want to know God is with me. I want to believe it. You said it and I want to believe it and I want to know it in my soul. And nobody looking around, if that's you, everybody's eyes closed, your head bowed. It's just, it's just me and it's just the Holy Spirit. As a confession, where you are, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me and I want to know God's with me. Yep, 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 yep. So many. You know why? Because every one of us goes through the seasons. Every one of us goes through. You're, you're, you're not going to be in that season forever. But while you're there, you can know God's with you. He's with you. Maybe you're in here and you'd say, Joel, I'm not in a valley, but I'm terrified of going through another one. I've been through one before, and I'm terrified of what's ahead. And I walk in anxiety expecting that next valley to hit me tomorrow. And I need faith to trust God's love for me. If that's you and you say, I don't want to live in fear of another valley, but I want to live in the trust of God's love. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real, real high? I want to pray for you. You put it right back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe this. Maybe you say, Joel, I think God's always, I think he's always punishing me. And I need a heart, I need a heart transition to know God as a loving father. That no matter what I'm walking through, that God's discipline is good and his love for me redeems every other thing in my life. But I need, my heart's got to change. Joel, if I'm honest, I don't want to see God as the punishing God, but as a loving God who's a good, good father. And I need a new picture. I need a new picture in my head. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and put it back down? Yep. 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 God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that we can trust you with everything that we have. God, we thank you for the invitation to your table. A good and loving father gives good gifts to his kids, takes care of his kids. Even with a rod and staff, God, they comfort us. So God, I pray that you would give us a heart transplant. God, we desire you above everything else. God, I pray that you would give us a, a new picture of who you are. God, that you would redeem any valley where we feel like we've lost. And God, you would build a trust in our heart of God's love for us. God, those in here that pray, God, that confess, they just, they just feel alone. God, I pray that you would reveal your nearness to them whether it's through somebody else coming up and encouraging them, whether it's a unique it's a unique experience in their own heart, knowing that you're close. God, whether it occurs right now, this morning, or later today or this week, God, remind them of your nearness. God, those that need 
the anxiety to lift from their heart as they walk into a, a new season. I pray you would just do that. You would, that you would do just that. And God, those that need a, a new picture, God, I pray you would give it to them. We thank you for what you're doing, God. We thank you that you're a good God. We love you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So um, I wanted to tell you guys, I wanted to give you a, an update, and we'll have, some, we'll have some fun little charts and stuff, all the chart lovers in here, um, fun charts about our Faith Step Sunday a couple weeks ago. Uh, so we're at a place right now, the short of it is we're going to raise uh, for, our, for the building here just a measly $350,000. And so... Uh, in order to retrofit this space and turn it into um, uh, from a warehouse to a church, there's a lot of stuff that has to take place for it to become legal that we are meeting here as a church. And so we're gonna have we're gonna have walls and we're gonna have all the stuff uh, that, through the vision that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, we've had several gifts that have come in to the church before that knocked our goal from three fifty um, three hundred fifty thousand dollars all the way down to one fifty, and then. From that, uh, up, up to this point right now, through gifts uh, that have come in and already pledges, we're down all the way to our, our new goal to raise as, as the rest of those pledges come in, down to $55,000. So we have we've either raised or pledged, either raised or pledged, almost 70% of, of all of that. And we just announced that, what, three weeks ago, two weeks ago? So... There you go, God. Um, so I wanted to I want to thank you guys that are a, a part of that, but also to ask you to continue to be in prayer because um, God has big plans for this church and for this city and us right here in the heart of the city where we are. Um, we're going to get in on that, but we're going to walk into this place not owing a single dime when we're done with it. And um, and God's going to do it. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. If you are, still want to be a part of that faith step, um, building challenge project, whatever it is we called it. Um, the faith step cards are on the back side of the chairs. And so you're welcome to fill one of those out and drop it on the high top table on the way out. There's a black box that JT is doing Vanna White with right now. So <laughs> um, thank you guys for being here this morning. It's beautiful Sunday and it's cold <laughs> and you still came. So I'm excited. Thank you those who joined us online as well. Uh, so it's a wonderful Sunday to celebrate being together as a family and, uh, and worshiping Jesus. I love being here with you. If it's your first time here at Four Corners, I'd love the opportunity just to get to know you. I'd love to write you um, a card thanking you for being with us. We've got connection cards that are in each bulletin that we're sitting on the chairs. Please fill that out and drop it off in that black box in the back on the high top table. Uh, we'd love just to know that you are here and be able to to reach out to you. For those who also uh, want to reach out about change of address, change of information, maybe you're interested in serving or in being a part of groups, any of those things, you can also let us know from these connection cards. Um, and we also have a little table in the back we're going to start doing that's information. So if you're wondering about serving and maybe you're, you're not going to fill the card out yet, but you want to know what's available uh, about groups, about 
things that are happening in the church, drop by that table in the back and one of the ladies would be happy to give you that information as well. Hey, thank you to uh, Four Corners Church for being a giver. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I know Huntsville, the, the families yesterday really appreciate it. It was a joy to be a part of that. But I tell you, I think um, it, it's funny. I think those people were overwhelmed, so grateful, so kind at the generosity that our, that our church and a bunch of churches around did. But in, in return, we are, we are filled too. So it was, it was beautiful, but your giving helped make that happen. There's actually one more this year. So if you couldn't make it yesterday or you did make it and you're like, I'm going to make the December one too, it's December the 11th. So mark that on your calendar. It'll be a great opportunity to love on our city once more right before the holidays. Uh, let's do this. Let's, I was going to pray over the offering. If you'd like to give, you can also drop it off in the back um, or you can give online or by text. Let's pray over uh, the offering and the, the tithes and offerings this morning. Father, you are such a generous master and we just pray that you would train us to be faithful trustees of what you've given us. I pray Four Corners Church would love well in our giving because you've loved well and given us everything in Christ. Our giving today is proof that we trust your promises. You're our shepherd and we have everything that we need. God, I pray you would win us over with greater dependence on you, especially walking into this holiday season. Bless these gifts that are given today. Through this giving, I pray you train our hearts towards a greater generosity and that the habits of stewardship might be pleasing to you and expressive of your heart and your passion for Huntsville and the people, our neighbors, people we work with. God, everything we have is yours. So use these gifts for works of love and mercy and towards an increase in your spirit and your glory here in our city. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you guys stand up with me? Hey, we're going to pray a blessing on the way out. You want to hold your hands out like this. May you go this week every step, everywhere that you go, everywhere that you drive, everywhere you place that your feet, may you experience the nearness of the shepherd and the comfort of knowing that he's your protector, your defender, your director, but more than anything, your good, good father. Experience his loving hand and his joy this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. See you this next week.